I just got back from Circleville, Ohio yesterday and um, was down there for the annual pumpkin show. The greatest free show on earth is the billing for this one. And if you've never been, you'll have to take a trip down there sometime and try to sample some of the pumpkin pie or the pumpkin roll or the pumpkin ice cream, the pumpkin pizza, pumpkin chili, I'm not kidding, um, the pumpkin bread or whatever else they make out of pumpkins down there. Uh, while you're at it, make sure you stop by Lindsay's. It's a local bakery there. Pick up some pumpkin donuts. Really, they're there. And see the six-foot pumpkin pie. Really, a six-foot from one side to the other. You can also take in some of the other sites. Catch the largest pumpkin in the state of Ohio, for instance. Came in this year at a whopping 1,622 pounds. You know, that's the size of a small car. Um, you could go to the, the Miss Pumpkin contest. And don't forget the Little Miss Pumpkin contest. Catch both of those. Two parades a day, all this sort of stuff. This is what you could do. And then you would come back to Northeast Ohio with so much pumpkin in your brain that you would hope to never see it again the rest of your life. Maybe at least until Thanksgiving. You know, the little towns, I don't know if it's this way in Northeast Ohio, but where I'm from in Southwest Ohio, all the little towns have a festival. Every year they have an annual festival. There's the Apple Festival or the Apple Butter Festival and Corn Festival. There's even a Sauerkraut Festival. You know, that's got to be a big hit with the kids, don't you? Um, but in, in, in every one, the theme is the same. The people, uh, they take some kind of food and they exploit it to the nth degree. Uh, every way that you could make this food and market it, this is what they do. And, and you throw up a, a corn dog stand and a couple carnival rides and it becomes the big hit for a couple, three days or whatever. And, and especially the children who live in these small towns, they look forward to it. Oh, kraut days are here again, or whatever it is. You know, they're, they're eager for that time of year. And, and, and a lot of these communities, they're small farming communities. The, the children, they, they know a lot of hard work most of their days. And, and so they, they save their money. And when the festival time comes around in a lot of these towns, if their school is in, they, they shut down the schools, or, or if businesses, they close early, and, and everybody sort of comes to the festival good excuse to have cheese on a stick and whatever else that you could have in those places. I grew up in, in Springfield, Ohio, which is a city a lot like Youngstown. It's in the southwest Ohio area. It's, it's kind of the southwestern version of Youngstown. And so this is the kind of environment that I grew up in. And so I was an adult before I, I ever learned about these festivals that were all over. But I realized pretty soon why they were so important. That families and children who lived in these areas, these were something that they looked forward to. It was, it was something that they, they hoped for. And, and I realized how important hope is, in a, especially in a small community. I mean, otherwise you're spending your, all your free time tipping cows or whatever it is. And so you need these kind of events. And they look forward to them. And I thought about how important it is that we have hope in our lives. Something that we're looking forward to. A purpose. A reason for why we exist. But if our hope is only something fleeting, I mean, it's great to have your festival or whatever, but if that's all it was, oh, how pathetic that would be, wouldn't it? Jesus tells a story. The story is about a Pharisee and a tax collector who both go up to the temple to pray. When he says this in his first century world, everybody immediately knows the score. They immediately know what's going on. A tax collector and a Pharisee? Well, we know, we know who's good in this story. See, the Pharisees are good people. 
They're the people who go to, to, to go to synagogue. They're the people who are who are meticulous in their observance of the Torah. They're the people who who do what is good in the society. In fact, they go beyond that. If the commandment says don't work on the Sabbath day, they say don't walk. In fact, they count the number of steps that you can actually take before it becomes labor. And you stop right there. If you're in the middle of the road, have a seat and hope the camel goes around you. You know, this is the way that they live. Very meticulous. Moral purity, a big deal. All of these things are, are, are important attributes of the way they live. But tax collectors are not like that. Tax collectors are the complete moral opposite of Pharisees. Tax collectors are people who are Jewish, who belong to the community of Israel, but who are going over and working for the Romans. The Romans are hated by Jewish nationalists. And yet these people, these tax collectors, go and they work for them, and they found a way that they can, they can really work the system. If the Romans expect a thousand people to cross a bridge, they say, charge a dollar for every person. But the tax collector can charge five dollars for every person who goes across that bridge, give one to the Romans, and keep four for himself. And let me tell you, they exploited this, this opportunity for all it was worth. It was the normal custom of tax collectors to rob blind their fellow citizens. And so while the Romans were hated by the people of Israel, the tax collectors, even though they were their countrymen, were doubly hated by the people of Israel. These were the worst sorts of people. Jesus says a Pharisee and a tax collector go up to the temple to pray. Everyone knows the score, don't they? They know who the good guy in this story is. They know who the bad guy is. But that's really where things start to change. Jesus compares them and sets up a little contrast between the two. He says that they both go to the temple to pray and the Pharisee stood up. This is what you would do if you were an ancient Israelite. You would stand up with your arms outstretched, look up towards heaven and pray. And he begins to tell God all about himself. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. I thank you that I'm a good person. Let me remind you, God, how I'm a good person. And he goes through and he gives this itemized list of all the things that he does right. The tax collector, on the other hand, doesn't do this. There's no mention of him standing up with his arms outstretched. All he does is he kind of stands afar off, in fact, is what Luke says. He's over in the corner. He bows his head instead of looking upward. And he begins to pound on his chest. And he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, before we go too much further, let me just say and remind you that what the Pharisee says about himself is altogether true. He is a good guy. He does give money. He does uh, fast twice a week. He does do all the things that he says about himself. But Jesus seems to say that there is no pleasure in God towards this Pharisee. The tax collector likewise is, is accurate in his description of himself. In fact, if you look closely in, in the, the Greek, it, uh, Luke wrote this, this original gospel in, in, in Greek, Koine Greek. If you looked at it, he doesn't say, the Pharisee, or the tax collector rather, doesn't say, forgive me, I'm a sinner. He says, I'm the sinner. An article in front of it. The, as if I'm the only one in the whole wide world. The tax collector aligns himself with everything that's wrong with the world and says, that's me. But then he asks for one thing. He asks for mercy. The Pharisee never asks for mercy. He only wants to impress God with all of his goodness. 
This parable is not a parable about how to pray, although a lot can be said about how to pray here. It's really a parable about hope and about where our hope lies. Because Christianity is not a, it is not a religion about who keeps all the rules perfectly. Guess what? We don't. We can't. We won't. Nor is it a religion about whether or not our good stuff outweighs our bad stuff. It's not like there's this divine scale up there and one's in favor of the other. We could do a million good deeds and our good stuff wouldn't outweigh our bad stuff. Nor would it impress God one bit. St. Paul says it this way, None is righteous, no, not one. We all stand condemned before God. So does that mean we're not to do good? No, no, it doesn't mean that at all. It just means that the good that comes out of our lives comes from one of two places. It either comes from a genuine gratitude, thankful to God for all that He's done in our life, and returning that gratitude and returning that grace in the same form. Or it comes out of an attempt to manipulate God. From the outside, none of us can tell. What I think Jesus is saying is that God can. He knows our hearts. He knows whether we're honest or not. He knows whether we act out of goodness, out of gratitude, or whether we act out of selfish and selfishness in an attempt to manipulate God for our own good. Now there's a story that's told about a man who, who stands at the gate of heaven, and St. Peter meets him there. And uh, St. Peter says to him, it'll take a, a million points for you to get in. <laughs> and the man said, oh, okay, well, let's see how I've done. And he says to him, well, you know, I, I gave a tenth of all my income all my life. And St. Peter said, great, that's one point. And the man said, oh, no, you know, he could dispel the tension. Um, and, and so he says, well, I fed the poor at the local homeless shelter. St. Peter said, oh, that's really good. Two points, you're up to three. Um, well, I, I, used to, I used to give money to, to um, these, uh, these four, you know, third world countries so they could feed the poor. And, and I would work at, at, at charity hospitals in, in other countries. And, and I did all, and St. Peter said, great, there's three more, you're up to six. And the man says, oh my goodness. Well, at this rate, the only way I'm ever going to get into heaven is by the grace of God. And St. Peter says, and that's worth a million. Where's our hope? Is our hope in our own ability to do good, to be good, to keep the rules, or to throw ourselves at the mercy of God and say, do in me what I cannot do for myself? If it's the former, we're of all people most to be pitied. But if it's the latter, then I think we have real reason for hope. Amen.